Korak and Salafiel stood side by side, dressed for travel with packs on their backs. Zarks nodded towards the brothers as men around them prepared to open a secret passage in the wall, leading to a labyrinth of tunnels below the king's palace. Salafiel looked at Kordok. They'll be okay, brother. Zarks and our father are able to take care of themselves, Kordok said. Salafiel's face was unreadable. Jacobin should be with us, Salafiel finally said. Zarks walked forward, giving instructions as if, as if he hadn't heard their actual exchange. Follow the tunnel through until you reach the steps leading up to the trap door. It will be a lot smaller than you remember it. Zarks paused and gripped the hilt of his sword, remembering them as small boys playing in the tunnels. The tunnel is approximately two miles long, so you will be, you will end up just outside of the Ligurith Mountains. There will be no light in the tunnels, so you will have to use your own, Zarks said. Take refuge at Delgrath for the night, then continue to Malfate in the morning. The city of Malfate is many leagues from Delgrath, so you may want to locate those horses you two are always leaving at the stables there. You never know who you might have to outrun, Zarks trailed off. The door of the secret passage groaned open, dust blowing out from the now visible cracks until before them stood a dark doorway just big enough for a single man to walk through. Take heed and know your family waits for your return. With that, Zarks turned his back, hiding his emotion from them. Zarks? Slokiel asked. Zarks stopped and stepped. Yes? Do you hate us for choosing to be Ashenborn? Zarks sighed. I may not approve, but you are both more important than anything I might believe. You make your own choices, and I will not hate you for them. Salafiel smiled. Thank you. Zarks nodded. Now go be safe. Zarks disappeared around the corner. Salafiel let out a sigh and entered the darkness with Kordok. Do you think we should shed a little light on the subject? Salafiel said as the door closed behind him, robbing the tunnel of any light. Kordok rolled his eyes, which could not be seen in the dark, and laughed. When are you going to stop saying that? Kordok lifted his palm and the blue specks of light began to combine a few inches above his hand until a finger-sized ball of light hung suspended in the air. The blue luminescence lit the tunnel and air they stood and a few feet ahead of them. Kordok stopped and the pupils of his eyes matched the color of the spear, his eyes and the flame both glowing blue. We must be going, he said, turning back towards the tunnel. The walls around them were covered with moss, and the air was humid and thick with condensation. The width of the passage was ten feet from their shoulders and several feet above their heads. The flickering blue flame made the moss appear to move as they passed. A rat ran between them, which did not seem to bother the two as they walked. Salafi Amir looked at it and shook his head in disgust. They walked for what seemed like miles, hearing nothing but the trickle of water in their footsteps and seeing nothing except the occasional rat. Salafi stopped to wipe the sweat from his brow. Suddenly he froze and squinted his eyes. Kordok turned towards him. What is it? Slothfield shook his head after a moment and shrugged. I thought I heard something. It could just be the rats down here. Kordok shivered. A very narrow passage to be talking about that, Kordok said while staring ahead. Slothfield's smile faded quickly as a scraping noise sounded ahead of them. They stopped just as the tunnel came from a curve to the straight away in front of them. Kordok squinted into the darkness. What was that? He whispered, breathing at a slightly faster rate. Salafio grabbed his hunting knife and stood beside Kordok. Again, the scraping sound reached their ears. Send your light up the tunnel, Salafio said. With a flick of his wrist, the suspended light shot forward, stopping several hundred feet ahead at a figure dressed all in black. <clears throat> Excuse me. The figure leaned against the wall, unmoving, but the sound of breathing became louder and faster. 
The brothers stood frozen. Neither spoke. Slothfield drew his sword and set his own light to join Kordox. A light of neon blue and golden yellow filled the tunnel. The figure remained still. Slothfield held the blade with one hand in a defensive position and began to step forward. Kordox shook his head. No, not yet, brother, he said, placing a hand on Slothfield's shoulder. They watched for a minute more and, at Kordok's nod, began to walk forward. They realized at the same time that the sound of the breathing had stopped, and they soon realized that what they were looking at was a newly dead body. Slothfield pulled back the hood of the robe to reveal the face of its name. Slothfield examined a wound on its chest. The wound was deep enough to kill, but there was no blood. Kordok shook his head. Is this what was breathing? Slothfield said in short. Kordok shook his head uncertainly. Slothfield stared at the wound, finally saying, Only one thing could have made a wound like that. Yes, magic. Do you think it was Jacobin? Slothfield said, hopefully. Let's hope so. Otherwise, there may be more to worry about. Its breathing stopped as soon as we approached it, Kordok said. I think it just met its demise. The, that wound is obviously what killed it. It is cruel even for the Tanemian to allow something to die so painfully and slow, he said, looking disgusted. Slothiel stood up straighter, not even more conscious of the possibility of other threats within the tunnel. He looked around, listening carefully. What if there are more of them? Calm down, brother, Kordok spoke in a collected tone, seeming unworried by the Tanims or anything else that might await them in the tunnel. What are you talking about? That's a Tanim in our tunnel. Who knows if there are more than the one that came that way from, or from there, Slothiel said, raising his voice. This could be a lot more trouble than you're considering. Korok's voice was relaxed as he replied, It's okay, though. The Tanemian are our enemy, and something killed this one. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing. Slothiel seemed unsure. Or the enemy of my enemy is just another enemy of our enemy and us. Kordok chuckled to himself. I think you can see that you might be overthinking it a little. <laughs> Maybe, Slothiel admitted, but he remained alert, looking around carefully for evidence of other creatures. Would you do the honors, Kordok said. Slothfield responded by stretching out his own hand, palm upwards. Golden sparks jumped around above his palm, spinning around each other until a nearly solid sphere of light had been formed. Light projected along the walls of the tunnel, reaching far into the depths. They continued walking, hoping that they could reach the end of the tunnel before sundown. There was no sign of how much time they, that had already gone by. Delgraf would be a short walk from the end of the tunnel, but with Tanemians... Attack, Tanemian attacks becoming more and more frequent at night. Being outside to become a dangerous prospect. I think we should relax a little when we arrive at Delgraf. Kordok suggested wanting to rest and perhaps get something to eat. The two had been walking for almost most of the day. Sounds fine to me. I could use something to drink and definitely some food. Sawfield's tone shifted into a more concerned voice. Where do you think Jacobin is? Kordok talked to himself. With all the trouble Jockerman had gotten into growing up, it wasn't unlike him to run away for a while and return with a cooler head. Often, Jockerman would run ahead of them no matter what they were doing, whether it be out of excitement or eagerness, really. Honestly, he could be anywhere. At this moment, all I care about is the fact that we need to reach Malfate and retrieve help. Jockerman will show up eventually, as he always does. Father said he may have already taken the path we now take. So you're not worried? Slothfield seemed to relax some. No, it's not worth my time to worry, Kordok said bluntly. He has the same training in magic that we do. He can take care of himself. Slothfield. Sorry, everybody, I got dogs. Slothfield nodded, realizing Kordok was right. A short while later, they approached a set of stone steps. The walls narrowed as the <laughs> steps twisted upward. 
Slothill nodded for Kordok to go up. Kordok began climbing and got about 20 steps before hitting his head on the ceiling. Ouch. Are you alright? Slothill asked, holding his light a little higher to see Kordok rubbing the top of his head. I'm fine. I just hit my head on the door. I'm not going to lie, that's pretty funny. You'll have a goose egg on your head soon enough, Slothiel laughed. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Kordok shook off the pain and pushed on the door above him. It was heavier than he remembered. Hey, I think there's something on the top of the door. Come up here and help me push. Slothiel joined Kordok at the top of the steps and put both hands up to the door above his head. Maybe you're just a little tired from walking, Slothiel joked. He pushed hard on the door himself, but it only shifted a small amount. All right, he said defeated. Let's open it together. You know, I could have opened it if I'd really tried, Korok said, enjoying himself. He didn't like having his younger brother. <laughs> he didn't like giving his younger brother the last word all the time, especially since Slothiel was often right. Both of them pushed on the door with all their strength. The door groaned and creaked, but eventually swung open and let in a rush of chilly air. Kill the light, Korok said hastily. Slothiel closed the hand. The sparks had been circling above while placing his other hand over it. The light dimmed and vanished. Slothiel suddenly realized why Kordok had been so quick to command him. As Zarks walked briskly down the alleyway near the palace, he looked around at the kingdom that held so many memories for him. He had spent more time in the palace than he had at home with his own family. This was where he had grown up. Kordok, Slothiel, and Jacobin were like brothers and Alanias had welcomed him into their family. Alanias had even spent many evenings personally teaching Zarks the art of combat. Sword fighting was a skill that he had developed quickly, but he became a master of hand-to-hand -hand combat. He remembered the day he turned 15 and joined the First Guard Initiative. It had been a rapid process to find new recruits for Lifesville's Royal Guard. Zarks was the most qualified member and the youngest to apply at the time. He'd advanced through the ranks quickly and made general at 30, becoming like a big brother to the princes and well respected by Alanias. To be made general so young was a privilege, and it was something that he continually worked to prove himself worthy of. He was respected among his men, and despite his sternness, they followed any and all orders he gave. He had ordered his men to capture Tanim if possible, and their efforts had not been in vain. They had finally gotten one restrained. In other circumstances, they would have killed it on sight, but Zarix had some questions. Jareth, hold him tight. Zark said, referring to the Tanim that lay bound, surrounded by several silver talons. You'd better speak or I'll make sure you never speak again, Zark said as he pulled a short blade from his hip. The Tanim hissed. Now that is the sort of thing I was hoping you would not do, Zark put the sword to his throat. Foreign perimeter, I do not want anyone seeing us, Zark said to the silver talons who bowed and disappeared behind a building. Gareth remained, holding the ropes that bound the Tanim. Zark's of life's fail, the Tanim growled. There we go, useful conversation, Zark said, lessening the pressure of the sword. Why are you and your kin in life's fail? Zark asked roughly. The dark, ugly eye socket of the creature fully focused on him, a white speck appearing to them. Zark could not tell, but noticed that the Tanim looked healthier than the ones they had encountered at the Ashen. One change of color in your eyes, and you'll not live to regret it. We have enough experience with your kind to know your tricks. The Tanim calmed down for a moment, unaware it was calling on magic. I have done this to catch your eye, Zark sniffed, and you have my attention, but I'm afraid you've gotten the wrong person's gaze. Do you mean to tell me you were intentionally captured? The creature cocked its head and smiled. Do you think your mortal men could restrain me if I did not wish to be? Zarks looked at it with repugnance. Do not flatter yourself. We have torn down many of your kind. Now what do you want? The kingdom? A truce? None of those will be granted. 
The team shook its head, blood oozing from the wound on its neck. There are those who wish to seek you as an ally, it said in its raspy voice. Anyone who is willing to side with you has nothing, nothing that I wish to possess, Zark spat. Gareth readjusted his grip on the ropes. Life's well, life well, <laughs> I can't talk. Life's well need not fall, the Tanim said flatly. And it will never. Who speaks such bold words, Zark said, becoming annoyed. Is it you or someone else? Elim, the Tanim's eyes gleamed. Zark's eyes widened. Where is he? Zark snarled. Snarled. Where are the rest of those disgusting war criminals? His free hand tightened into a fist. Where they wish to be, the creature responded. Zarks took the ropes binding the Tanim and held the creature before him. He grasped the sword in his other hand and placed it on the neck of the Tanim again. You think you can frighten the Tanim? If you kill me, I will be reborn again. You can never truly kill us, it hissed. Not as I hear it, Zark said roughly. Besides, if that is true, you'll still be in tremendous pain even so. The Tanimian laughed. Zarks threw the creature to the ground, knocking the breath out of it. Where can I find Aleem? Zarks walked to where he had thrown the creature. Gareth looked around nervously. The light present in two lights, the eve, lifting him spat blood. I suppose he wants us to meet in peace, or is this a trap? Zarks gritted his teeth, the muscles in his neck clenching and bulging. You can have your men to make you feel safe, the Tanim replied, cackling. Zarks grimaced, so be it. Tell Elim I will meet him. Elim, I will meet him. The Tanim slowly rose as Zarks cut the cords of the rope binding the monster. Jareth followed him and tell the Silver Talons to stand aside. Make sure it leaves without being seen. If it tries anything or even makes an improper movement, kill it. Zarks sheathed the sword angrily. A pleasure, Zarks. The Tanim said rudely. Zarks glared at the monster, contemplating killing it itself. <coughs> himself. Excuse me. Do not even lessen my name by putting it on your lips, creature. The creature turned and disappeared in a quick movement. Why let it go? Jareth asked, turning to follow. Because he has got a message to deliver, and I want him followed, so go. Sundown had come and gone. Kordok and Salafia looked around. Aided only by the light of the half moon, they stood at the base of cliffs. The doorway they had exited, hidden among the boulders that surrounded them. We're behind schedule, Salafia said, staying the obvious. We need to keep moving. If we don't reach Dalgraf soon, he trailed off. The wind was blowing gently, sending chills down Kordok's and Salakil's spines. Yeah, we'll keep moving, but what happened here? Kordok gasped. Salafiel examined the area, not knowing what he was referring to, then it hit him. This whole area, Salakil said, it's been burned. Kordok shushed him. Shushed him. Neither knew who or what might be nearby to hear them. The forest that grew up to the cliffs had almost burned to the ground, where once large oak trees and other plant life had grown. Only charred rocks and the chunks of dead trees remained. Look, Kordok said, pointing to a large rock lying beside the entrance to the tunnels. Someone placed the boulder over the entrance. We used to hide the entrance with grass, branches, or roots, but after the forest burned, it must have revealed the door. And someone noticed it and put a rock in front of it, Slothfield finished. Why would someone do that? I'm less concerned about why than I am about who, Kordok said thoughtfully. Depending who found it, it would be a penetrable weakness that life spell isn't prepared for. That rock was big enough to hide the door completely, which means that whoever found the entrance didn't want anyone else to find it. And, Slothiel said, they may plan on coming back. Precisely. The other thing that strikes me is that the boulder is rather large, and it took both of us to open the door. So it probably took more than one person to place it there. Slothiel shook his head, partly in worry, partly in wonder. He struggled to understand what this information meant. 
Where are the ramifications of an enemy knowing the location of our back door entrance? Kordok's lips were pursed, not really wanting to think about the dangers that could await Lysville if they didn't act quickly. Help me, he said. We need to move the rock back. We can't let anyone else know that we know they know. What? Slothville asked. Come on, Kordok urged. They pushed the rock with all their weight and the rock slowly moved back into its original position. Kordok found an unburned branch and brushed the sandy soil with it to hide the evidence of their exit. Let's get moving, Kordok said, dropping the branch. The two began trekking as quietly but as swiftly as possible through the blackened trees. Korok, Slothiel, and Jacobin had grown up in these woods. They had shared many great memories here together, and its current state made the brothers sad. They had learned how to hunt particularly large animals such as bear and boar, and had each had their share of close brushes with death. They considered each other rivals as well as brothers, and had built a close bond while learning new skills. It was like erasing a memory, seeing it so empty. I see some light ahead, Solofiel exclaimed, happy he didn't have to worry about the run-in with the Tanims that night. That's Delgrath for sure, Kordok said with just as much glee. They picked up their pace, nearly tripping over roots and twigs as they approached the village. Delgrath wasn't the largest or wealthiest village in the area. Although it fell under their rule and protection of Malfate, it existed so far outside of the main kingdom that it was virtually unguarded. Malfate had made a pact with Lysbell, wherein... Lifestyle guarded Delgraph while being allowed to use it as a sort of outpost. Malfate was happy to agree to this pact. However, Delgraph was a merchant village, and Malfate imposed steep taxes on the village residents. This meant that many merchants worked all day just to hand over most of their earnings to the kingdom. Although Alanias disagreed with some steep taxes, the benefit of having an outpost for his soldiers outweighed any political sway he might use to change things. It wasn't worth the risk of losing alliance as important as this one. Malfate received added protection for Dalga from Lifestyle and Lifestyle received an outpost. Both used an equally rewarding deal. Both viewed it as an equally rewarding deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Salafiel stopped abruptly at the entrance to the village. It wasn't really a gated entrance, but rather an opening between two buildings where a well-worn path led into the village center. Salafiel looked back and saw Kordok just behind him. He could not recall a single race where Kordok had beaten him. On foot, that is, Kordok had a gift with horses. Kordok ran up to Slothfield, stopping behind him. He adjusted his bow and the arrows that rested in the sheath on his back and placed a hand on the dagger on his belt. A building stood on either side of the road at the village entrance, and a torch burned beside the building's doorways to give light to travelers and visitors. The brothers continued walking down the path towards the center, eager to get to the tower and deliver their message. As they walked along, Kordok thought about how proud he was of Salafield despite what they were going through. Although Salafield had been adopted, he knew that he was truly his brother. Kordok trusted Salafield with his life, and he knew Kordok, or Salafield felt the same way. Once we reached the tower and delivered the message, will we stay here for the night? Salafield asked, hoping for food and rest before continuing their journey. Yeah. I think we should find some food and then maybe find a place to sleep. Perhaps we'll check in on Elgiri. Maybe he'll allow us to stay there. Kordok said, smiling. Elgiri is a little crazy, but when it comes to the territory, I suppose. Definitely. Slothiel nodded. As they walked, they passed the various stalls lining the street. Many heard their lights or torches to welcome visitors late at night, and men and women watched them, hopefully as they made their way past. Unfortunately, many owners were forced to work at night as well since their daytime earnings were barely enough to meet the tax quota. As they passed by, 
As they passed by, Salafiel noted the goods in each stand, a jewelry cart containing beautiful sapphires and emeralds placed in artfully designed necklaces, bracelets, and rings. Another stand had multiple baskets of fruit, the majority of them were apples. The stand after that had linens and clothing, all handmade and of excellent quality. Each merchant stared at the passerby smiling, willing them to come purchase something. It took some effort for Salafiel not to stop. Kordak noticed his brother eyeing everything and said, If you're interested in buying something, we can stop by some other time. Salafiel laughed. It's not about buying something. You and I know, both know we could buy everything they have with what's in my coin bag here, Salafiel said, motioning to the bag hanging over his shoulder. Sometimes I just like to stop and admire things, particularly handmade things that take effort and care. Kordak respected Salafiel for that. He had never known Salafiel to use a fishing rod he hadn't made himself. All right. We'll take a look on our way back so you can drool over everything but not buy any of it. Salafiel smirked and adjusted his sword on his hip. Although it was heavy, he liked having it with him wherever he went just in case. One never knew when the Tanims might be upon them. To be caught off guard could be a death sentence, and their father had taught them to always be prepared, always. After walking for a few more minutes, the tower came into view. Care to race? Kordok asked Salafiel. Care to make it a challenge? Salafiel adjusted. With that, the two took off running towards the tower. When Kordok finally caught up to Slothfield at the base of the tower, Slothfield began to reach for the bottom of the ladder. Looking up, he could see the many stars above, and for a second, he was lost in thought about the beauty of the night sky. Don't move. A shot came from a few feet below, away, where two guards held Slothfield and Kordok in their crossbow sights. A voice spoke harshly. How dare you point those in the faces of life's false princes? A man with short brown hair and a bushy beard appeared and spat towards the first voice. Elguri shoved one of the guards who almost lost his balance. My lords, Kordok and Slothiel, pleasure as always, Elguri said with bowing, while bowing slightly, holding the pommel of his sword. He waved off the guards who stepped dutifully away from him. The one who'd been shoved glared before he moved away. What, my friends, has brought you here to my humble tower? Our father has sent us to warn you of a Tanimian horde and for us to garner aid for our kingdom from Malfate. Elgiri scratched his beard and furrowed his eyebrows. He thinks it best for all of those in Malfate to take refuge in Lifesville or to come to be escorted to a place of safety for the time being, Slothiel continued. Elgiri's facial expression remained unreadable as his eyes stared off in the distance. To think Kengal and Ice would send those who cannot fight to another location is scary indeed. Does he believe he can win? Such a fight is not life's well the safest. You speak of the Tahimian, Elgari said, appearing unsurprised by their news. Korak shook his head. Tanims are moving in from... Wait, how did you know? Elgari continued to look off to the distance, a look of concern on his face. Let's get inside, Slothiel said. He stepped to the ladder, looking around as he did so, scanning the area for possible threats. He grabbed hold and began climbing while Korak and Elgari followed. Halfway up the ladder... Elguri called down to one of the guards standing at his post with a crossbow. Make haste and alert all of the members of the guard. Tell them to identify anyone who is not showing his face in public. If Tinimian killed him on sight, check the south tower and be wary. After you've warned those on watch at the south tower, return here to report. Go, Elguri yelled. Yes, sir, the guard shouted, slinging his crossbow over his shoulder and taking off in the direction of the town's tavern. He was sure that was where many of the off-duty guards would be found at the time of the night. One by line, one, Slothiel, Kordok, and Elgiri reached the top, climbing up and entering the peak of the tower. 
the wind sent chills down their spines. Elguri entered and closed the large, heavy wooden door behind them with a thud. He then maneuvered the locking ne- mechanism into position so that no one could enter unannounced. The tower itself was large, made mostly of wood, but fortified with large stones, securing each of the large posts that supported it. There were eight windows, two on each of the floor walls, that were large enough to look out the out of them and allow guardsmen to easily spot and repel attackers with crossbows and other tactics. Each window had a large piece of metal covering it to block out enemy projectiles. The metal could easily be unlatched and allowed to fall, leaving the window open for a guardsman within the tower. It was easily, if it was easily ne- ever necessary, there was also a balcony that encircled the tower at the top, which provided a view of everything within Delgraf. Have a seat, Elgari said, breathing heavily. With a dark look on his face, he spoke. I'm concerned about you two possibly having been followed here. You both know that they have an innate ability to track. Did either of you notice anyone suspicious on the way here? No, Gary didn't have to explain who he was talking about. Kordok and Slothala already knew. Kordok started, I don't think we were followed. But we don't know for sure, Slothala chimed in. We made it to the outer reaches of Lifesville, then continued through the forest until reaching Delgraph. Slothfield didn't mention the intricate tunnel system they had used to get to the forest. That was a closely guarded secret that very few knew about. Alanis had ordered Zarks, Kordok, Jacobin, and the lot to never share the, the knowledge of the tunnels with anyone. Sorry, y'all. It is possible, Elgari pondered aloud, that they were waiting outside of Lifesville and followed you once you left the city limits. Elgari was anxious. It could be seen in his eyes and the tenseness of his body. Kordok and Slothiel trusted Elguri, but he was a guard employed by Malfate to protect Malfate's interest in Delgraf. Certain things just could not be shared with him. Kordok spoke up. I highly doubt that we were followed. I'll admit the two princes leaving the Kingdom of Lifesville to summon support from Malfate might draw attention from the Tanims, but we have to expect that there's they're more focused on their impending assault on Lifesville. Slothiel and I are skilled at evasiveness. We can track very well and therefore know how to cover our trail. I'm fairly certain we weren't followed. So, you covered your trail on the way to Delgraf then? No one knows you're here, Elgari asked, looking directly into Kordok's eyes. Kordok said something odd about the way Elgari posed his questions. We didn't cover our trail on the way to Delgraf, no, he said. Life's well guards know we're here. Life's veils guards know we're here, however, so I suppose someone knows we're here. Very well, Elgari answered. As long as you two are safe and weren't followed, I believe that Delgraf will be in a good shape to sleep peacefully tonight. And I'm sure you understand that you are now both under my protection officially as long as you remain in Delgraf. As confident as I am that you two can handle yourselves, the responsibility of protecting everyone in the town falls on my shoulders. We certainly appreciate that. Thank you, Slothiel nodded. There's one pressing matter we hope you could help us with. Have you spoke to Malfate recently? Kordok asked. Elgiri scratched his beard, making a sandpaper wood noise. Sandpaper on wood noise. Not currently. I am at the actually still awaiting payment from them. I have not spoken to my home kingdom in some time, Elgiri said. Why do you ask? Kordok shrugged and replied. We haven't been able to find out if the teams have attacked there as well, or if it was only Lifesville. I am sorry, my princes, but I don't know. Communication has been patchy recently. We appreciate your hospitality regardless. Don't thank me, it's my job, and you are my dearest friends. You know we've taken care of your horses since you were last here. It might be a good idea to take them on your trip to Malfate. 
you can get them in the morning from our stable for now how do you feel about getting some food and then finding a nice place to rest until dawn obviously your quarters will be free of charge we can't couldn't impose Kordok began i insist Urgiri urged malfate has a special coffers that it uses specifically to provide a place for its guests to stay you two are guests so you'll be treated as such no you two are princes so you'll be treated as such Kordok and Slothio exchanged uncomfortable glances. They weren't always fond of the attention that being princes brought them. Well then, we graciously accept. Take us to your finest eatery, and if not to our satisfaction, we will order the cooks to be executed at once, Kordok joked. Alright, that's going to be into that reading. I'll continue with Chapter 5 soon, A Barred Path. Thanks guys, and if you would, I uh, appreciate your support. Share everything about the book so um, I can continue to write books. If you would subscribe to me on Facebook or Instagram, Facebook at author MW Finn or on Instagram Finn, F-E-N-N underscore M-A-T-T-H-E-W. Thank you guys and I look forward to reading with you again. Later.